Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. Okay, Chris. So we're back with EdTech Examined after my uh, self-imposed sabbatical, which we won't go into the detail. <laughs> there is a good reason uh, to anyone who listens and follows us why I took some time off, but I do appreciate your flexibility, Chris. We don't, we usually are pretty, I think we've been pretty yeah. consistent about our episodes at least once a month. Um, but I, we have, I, needed, a, I mean, needed a break. I had a, I had a personal thing I need to deal with. And I just, sometimes you don't leave a lot of wiggle room in your life when things go sideways. So that's kind of what happened. Oh, totally. And I mean, it's, uh, especially this past semester when you have to go and get all your grading done and, uh, our semester has started earlier than normal as well. So it doesn't feel like much of a break either. No, I didn't, but that's okay. Um, yeah. I'm organized for the semester now. Uh, we're both at Mount Royal where you're, are you still teaching at UFC? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You're teaching at UFC as well. So we we're kind of back into our swing of things. So we figured we would do an episode and uh, we'll just continue on now that we've had this brief break. So I think we're just doing news today, um, news about chatbot and then uh, some stuff about Apple. Which did you want to cover first? Chatbot? Well, I think probably, you know, the what's top of mind on everybody's, okay. uh, you know, if it, uh, it's probably the chat GPT. So, uh, I mean, we've been reading articles on this. I don't think we really need to cite and report on a particular source. Well, of course, we've always put the links to what we've read um, in the, in the show notes. And, we'll, and we uh, have a pretty robust show notes, as far as I can tell, even compared to other podcasts. So we'll definitely do that. But I think maybe we just talk in general about chat GPT, maybe we'll tell, maybe do you want to tell people what it is and then we'll get into why it's become kind of a moral panic in higher education? Exactly. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting even at the rate uh, uh, that it was adopted because within five days they had a million users uh, sign up for it. And uh, basically it's a, a chat bot where you can go and put in all sorts of queries and in one minute, it'll put together a response to it. And, uh, you know, that um, the data set that it's operating on is up until 2021, um, you know, in terms of the uh, the writing that comes out of it, uh, apparently it's a, at a grade nine level, but overall uh, it's a pretty good tool. Um, I'm pretty impressed with what, uh, what it can do. Uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that not only can it go and answer any questions, it can also draft emails for you, reports, essays. Uh, it can draft code, and that code works. Uh, could actually go. You know, if you have a bug in a code, it'll detect that code. Yeah, I mean, you name it, it can probably do it. It's pretty amazing. I mean, and so, and I, and I, in all fairness, so it's kind of a a chat bot. You can think of it like working, like chatting with a robot, like if you're in WhatsApp or any chat app. And it's been so it's been trained on a huge data set of, of written language, probably mostly internet-based. It's not internet-connected, as you informed me, but it's working from this data set. And I guess it's getting better and yeah. better based on how people train it, which is you and me kind of training this open AI company for free. Um, Microsoft, I think, said they're going to put, what, like $10 billion into chatbot GPT. And they said, actually, it was just announced by Satya Nadella that they're going to launch this kind of stuff through the entire stack of all their technology. So yeah. I guess well, Clippy, and, uh, I guess that's it for Clippy. It's over for him for sure, because now <laughs> chatbot, or maybe, or maybe they'll resurrect Clippy and it'll like, it'll be smart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, but you know, that's the big thing. Like even it's good that you brought up the Microsoft thing, uh, because it was their investment of a billion dollars that fueled this fire to actually get it to this level. And now I think beyond even just a moral panic being in uh, academia, I mean, this could be a Google killer too. Well, I mean, why would you use Google for a search? So it's interesting. So some people are like way talking about how it's like perfect and it's incredibly creative. Other people are being super critical. I think their truth is somewhere near the middle. Um, so I published a paper. Uh, I I'm not trying to promote my own research, but you know, it's our podcast, so we can promote whatever we want, I suppose. I do research on open education because it's of interest to me, like open educational resources. So my colleague, uh, Michael McNally at the U of A, 
and I published a paper in First Monday that came out uh, last fall, 2022, um, November. And, uh, you know, so I put in some questions about open education into chatbot just to see, because it's interesting, right? Because I've written, we've written this paper, the study that we did. Um, and then I wanted to see, you know, how, how would it be able to answer some of the things in here? So I said, okay, well, give me a history of open education, you know, or write an essay on the history of open education. And it did kind of your basic five paragraph essay. So it's not anywhere near as complicated as what we wrote with all this. And it doesn't source anything and it doesn't give a timestamp. So it's, you know, it's dubious yeah. where it gets it from. And I was reading it back and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty good. And then I, and then I got it more detailed. I said, okay, well, give me uh, a summary of the British coffee houses, because I brought that up when you and I talked about uh, that did our talk at McGraw Hill at the Penny University, right? About openness and education. And it talked yeah. about it. And I was like, oh, that's actually a better summary than I would have written in some ways. And then, yeah. and then I started to be like, hmm. And I didn't put in super taboo stuff to see if I could break it because I, you know, I didn't, I don't know what it does with your data. I, I did ask it to write um, both um, positive critical and scathing essays of the Soviet Union. And it gave me very similar essays with different tones and emphasis on historical facts. And I was like, oh, like I could make it be both an apologist and a critic of Stalin. I was like, this is very interesting. <laughs> it's just like, so I was yeah. like, you can get it to say all sorts of things. You can get it to frame content um, in different ways. Like you can ask the question in a different way or type it in and it'll give a different response, like a different tone to the essay, even if it's using a lot of the same facts. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again, I think it's a, a matter of what it comes down to is your creativity in terms of the type of questions that you pose yeah. to it. Uh, you know, and I, I've experimented with it as well. Uh, and I, I look at, uh, I've taken, for instance, I took our writing test from uh, last semester and I, I just threw in the whole test and asked it to go and, uh, you know, put together a response to address the scenario that we created. And if I had to grade it, it did a pretty decent job. Like it was, uh, it would have probably been like a B, B plus. Uh, hey, it was perfect. Might be an A plus right. in a year from now. <laughs> well, that's, uh, we'll see when GPT four comes out, right? Like I'm sure it'll probably solve some of the things. But a few of the things that I noticed, like it was using passive voice versus active, so that was one thing that I noticed. Uh, I also noticed, like I I tried a different thing where, like how you were saying in terms of use, just having it write an essay. So it sometimes even puts in like citations, but those citations are not correct like it's almost just like filler kind of plug in like if i was designing a website putting in the latin ipsum lorem right. just to, to have placeholders there so i mean but still it's it's pretty good to go and uh do um uh you know from a if you let's say just getting uh going in terms of writing at least that's it could get you started and then you know i think you could Get it to create like an outline and ask certain things maybe summarize certain things in certain right. ways i think that's a perfect summary of it the outline the background information at least for now i typed in what is the education what is what is the edtech examine podcast i, I put it in our chat so that's the response oh, okay. it gave me chat chat gpt now you can tell me i'll read it and you can tell me if this is an accurate summary says the edtech examine podcast uh, or a tech examined is a podcast that explores the intersection of education and technology. The podcast features interviews with educators, administrators, and experts in the field who share their insights and experiences with using technology to enhance teaching and learning. The podcast may also discuss various trends, tools, and best practices in the field of ed tech. It's a great resource for anyone interested in learning about the latest developments and innovation in the field of edgy technology. I like how it casts this in a positive light at the very end to give us a plug as if it was yeah. a marketing thing. But that's, I don't know where it got the content from, but that yeah. is exactly what this is. Like, I would love it if it sourced the content. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if it was almost <laughs> like Wikipedia where you have the sources at the bottom. 
Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that's a pretty good description. I would probably, I mean, if we, let's say if we had to go and populate it uh, or put it on our website or somewhere, I would tweak it a little bit, make some, a few adjustments, but you know, again, from an efficiency standpoint, from a productivity standpoint, I mean, this thing, uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I, the reason why I started looking at it and it's not just, uh, you know, open AI's chat GPT because there's other AI writers out there too. Uh, Canva has their own now. It's not quite it's like this. In. This is the most advanced. Yeah. This is the most advanced, yeah. but again, uh, uh, one of the courses that I'm teaching uh, this semester is, um, computer mediated communication. And so we're looking at how, uh, you know, technology is impacting, uh, communication. And so I, I wanted to go and just experiment with the technology for some class exercises for the students on AI writers. Yeah. So, and I mean, it, and so like in a lot of places, there's a lot of excitement and, but in higher education and there's several articles that have been written. There was one in, um, in, there's one in inside higher ed though, that the late, the link keeps breaking for me, as you mentioned. So I don't know why, what's wrong with that. There's another one from the New York times called alarmed by AI chatbots, universities start revamping how they teach. Um, so maybe let's talk a little bit about the moral panic. That's, I think the best way to describe it that's happening in higher education. So there's a concern about for sure plagiarism, right? Um, yeah. like you could, you could get it to, um, uh, you know, get a student, they could just like write the essay and, you know, they could cut and paste from it, fill in their own information. Um, that's one aspect. Um, so there's a cheating thing. Um, that's, that's part of it. I think there's also, uh, some concern that it'll make some of the skills maybe obsolete that we teach. I mean, that, I haven't seen that reported so much, but I think that's really the undercurrent of the fear, right? Like, and so I've heard a variety of responses. Um, I won't name anything, but I, I know a few things. So some folks are saying, well, I'm just going to make everybody do everything in class, including writing essays. Um, I can certainly see exams being done in a controlled environment. Obviously yeah. people are going to use this outside of the university environment, but it's true that people need to have memorized or command of certain skills um, in case they don't have access to chat or the internet. I mean, we can't just have people train people to use AI to do things for us. What if it goes down, right? So I get that. So, okay. So you could say exams demonstrate the core competencies or whatever of a particular discipline. The idea of writing essays um, all in class as a result seems like a brutal way to go about it. I was having a discussion with a colleague who's, you know, this is clearly not going to replace the level of assignment they're asking from upper level students in terms of essays and critical thinking. But I said, well, okay, well, there's two things here. First of all, if you want to know if people did their own work and they're going to have to do some, whether they use chat GPT or not, why don't you just ask for their proof of work? Like, did you not take notes on the sources as you were writing your essay? I mean, like just when I was at the university of British Columbia, actually, that was not depending on the class, that was not uncommon to be standard practice. I had handwritten notes on, you know, the, the, the yellow Cambridge. That's what I typically do. And I handed a big stack of that in with my finished paper. And I was like, here's the sources. This is how I take notes. The instructor didn't read them. It was just, it's difficult to forge. So it was like, you had to hand that in with it as a completion. Right. So that's an easy thing, but also like as a librarian, I teach people to find research. Right. And a lot of what I do is it's uh, maybe this is too inside baseball for people. I'd be curious to know what you think. Searching databases and stuff. Um, it's really, if you're researching a topic, it's all about language. Like if you don't know what the clinical terminology for something is in a subdiscipline, it's going to be really difficult to find research on it. So the first battle is like reading overviews of encyclopedia articles or on the web and just writing. Okay. Like now I know the terminology used in this, let's say you're looking at vitamin D deficiency and you're in a nutrition class. It's like, well, you have to know what the outcomes are from too much, too little. Like what are the diseases that people suffer from? Are there different ways to describe those things? So that's like a lot of boring legwork before you can go find like, you know, empirical studies on the topic to write a paper. But if you could ask chat GPT to list the common, um, problems for people who have different nutritional deficits, if that's what you're researching, 
that's just like a huge step forward. You could be like, oh, forget it. I don't need to bother with that because it, you know, maybe this integrates with Encyclopedia Britannica and Wikipedia in the future. It's like, okay, but you're still going to need to do some manual stuff to find additional sources. But now we've skipped this step potentially. So background research, and you could totally cite it. Like, why couldn't you cite and be like, I looked at chat GPT. This is the date that I asked it the question. I used it to mine these background information. And then I use that to find other stuff. Like to me, that's yeah. more interesting than being like, we must get rid of it. We're and some campuses are blocking it on their university Wi-Fi as if that would do anything when people left campus. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and it's funny. So the, uh, on the cheating front, so the developers of chat GPT have also created a chat GPT detector. So where you can go and take a passage and paste it in there and it'll tell you maybe it's like 90% uh, certainty that it, it's been developed using chat GPT. So it's, it's almost like, um, you know, uh, the police when they're going and doing like photo radar, right. Or uh, just uh, for yeah. uh, doing the speed detection. Right. Then you get your, on the customer side, you get like radar jammers or whatever, like, you know, they, this is a, a clear path for monetization. I mean, the universities are going to go and probably have to buy this chat GPT detector and embed it into our, um, you know, assignment submissions. And so uh, they'll be like probably the first customers that buy this. But at the same time, like, I agree that, you know, writing an essay. Um, so it's interesting, like, uh, I'm using this detector now and I'm putting in this section of text that we read when I asked it to summarize, uh, you know, what is the education technology ed tech exam and podcast. And so yeah. it gives you like a text field where you can put in the text. This is GPT two output detector. This is from open AI. Yeah. And so, um, this is an online demo of the output detector model based on the transformers implementation. And then there's like, you put in the text and in the bottom, it has like a bar that gives you a confidence of real versus fake. So does fake mean it's not done by chat GPT or does it is real mean it's done by chat GPT? I, I don't know. So this is, me, yeah, yeah I, there's not for like a very good. Did you paste it? I pasted it in and it said it was 99.97% real and 0.03% fake. And I'm like in favor of what? it being chat GPT. Well, I, yeah. So I think what it is like a, it, the real part is that it is generated by chat GPT. Right. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. And be, if it was the opposite, I would be really concerned about this detector tool. So I yeah. saw this earlier and I, I hadn't actually plugged anything into it, but to me, it's like, okay, so a huge, like, it's like having a research assistant do background research before you do your writing. Like, I don't think that people's ability to write is going to become obsolete. I mean, there's all sorts of creative endeavors that require writing and strategy, but like, yeah. so do you, do you remember the video that Apple put out before Steve Jobs returned called the Knowledge Navigator? There's like an 80s video. We can put a link to it in the show notes. And it's basically this like little desktop, almost like a tablet, but it's like thick, but you could carry it around. And I had like a voice assistant and I had like a video phone. And it was this concept video of all the things computers should be able to do on your behalf. And it was like, this is what we want. And now we finally have it. And it's become this like huge moral panic. <laughs> this does exactly what that video said. You know, you know Eric, like, I mean, I... I don't know if I, I look at it. I mean, we were chatting about this right before, like even just from an industry standpoint. So if we were going and developing a website in the past, what we would have done is put in some of that Ipsum lorem Latin, just yeah. placeholder text. Now I could go and say that I'm designing a website for this type of business. Uh, can you give me this content? And you know, that content might be so good that if I presented it to a client, they might go and, you know, just take it as is. But again, the whole objective is, is to make it as real as possible to the end state so that people can envision what it could look like. Right. And so that's a huge help. I mean, if I can do it in one minute, which literally it can, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing tool. I mean, I, I think if this was, even if it, we had to pay for this, I don't know what the subscription amount, I, 
I mean, this is like a personal assistant for you. I mean, even just outside of like, a, you know, uh, academia. And uh, I think if it's used correctly, because again, it isn't perfect. There's a lot of things. I, again, I've been playing with it for the last few weeks and stuff. Uh, some of the things it does learn, it does learn from our stuff. And I, I think you should also be careful because uh, like you were saying, we're basically doing all the training for uh, OpenAI for free. Uh, and it's learning from our how we're interacting with it. Uh, but I've noticed myself, like there's certain things now, how I structure sentences, it's picking up on and it's integrating it uh, in yeah. responses. If I, uh, you know, put together something for, let's say, an email. Um, so, uh, but yeah, again, from an academic standpoint, I, I think obviously plagiarism, cheating uh, and so on is probably going to be a concern i i think instead of us saying that no you can't have it, it's like the equivalent of back in the day uh, if we were doing i don't know uh, finance or accounting and you're like or statistics and you're not allowed to use a calculator or spreadsheet or a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy right so, like that's going to be the tool of the future why would you not teach people how to use it yeah, so I, I think there's, a, I mean, there's something to be said, like I, I've already had that discussion with my students. So like in the business communication class, I've told them, so when they're going to be writing their test, they aren't going to have access to the internet. And I know that they're going to have access in the, uh, you know, workplace and so on, but it's more so I want them to be able to do things on their own. And uh, it's nothing onerous. I mean, they have 80 minutes to complete a test and, uh, you know, whether we had, uh, and this was even Prior to this coming out, I, I would make it that way because uh, once you have access to the internet, then I can go, it should be basically perfect, right? If it, yeah. At that point, the expectations so, uh, should go up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in fact, actually, that happened this past semester. I mean, personally, I did, it didn't, uh, it wasn't an issue for my uh, class, but one of my colleagues, it snowed that day. It was an 8 30 class, half the class didn't show up. And so, uh, are you going to go and make them? Uh, come uh, even with all the the safety issues and so in that case uh, they were allowed to do it remotely but then the expectations went up significantly from a grading standpoint and luckily in my case all my students did show up because my classes were later in the day so yeah it, it's interesting to me that this is like i mean it, obviously it's going to change things but there's it's also like an incredibly fascinating tool and it'll get smarter and smarter i guess this fear is that it'll become this like terminator-esque scenario where like these things know everything <laughs> and it's like i i suppose but um there's also a generic a generic aspect to this stuff like if you get it to you know especially if you ask it write an essay on whatever x it, the yes i understand this is like a first iteration but like the the transition words like i mean it's pretty consistent they're all kind of the same right i mean like it's not i don't i don't know how long it would take before it you know it can create like a creative work at the equivalent of like dosieski or something like that like i just it's a great background assistant tool but there's a creativity like it can't write an autobiography about me. Not to say yeah, that that's our yeah, exactly. only future job is to write autobiographies of personal interest, but it's like, there's, there's things that AI just can't do because it's not you. Right. And so as a background tool, it's super cool, but then, Oh, well, we can shift the emphasis of understanding to like higher level stuff. Like I remember hearing, um, it, it, I don't remember where it was. I hate not being able to cite sources, but it was talking about accounting. And like, there has been spreadsheets forever, including, they said so these have these huge paper spreadsheets, right? And so they would have multiple people would be on like an account. And if you made an error or you, you know, you, you didn't plan the spreadsheet out, you couldn't copy and paste. They were like erasing whole rows. I mean, it was so much of the work was like almost being like a draftsman. And, yeah. and, and then when that thing came out, it was like, oh, sweet. I can not only... Oh, yeah, well, we, we don't need as many people on each account. So that like, at least for a while, decimated the original intent of what an accountant could do. But at the same time, then like everybody was able to start up their own private accounting firm because it's like a certified profession, right? So like accountants didn't go away. Um, They're able to learn other skills. I'm sure the education has changed as a result, just like you said with the calculator. And so to me, I would say, great, you can get all the background information on this 
it's you're still going to have to go and do manual work looking in databases to find articles it can't read yeah. them and summarize them for you yet um and and that's difficult to do and you want to do it in your own words because writing practice is pretty essential right so it's kind of like we should be able to cite it but then the expectations go up yeah yeah exactly and uh, and again i mean along the lines of what you're saying in terms of professions i mean i could see the, the accounting profession or you know the legal profession i mean even doctors i mean now you could throw in a bunch of symptoms and now like in one minute it can give you a whole bunch of like you know potential diagnoses you're not going to go and you know just <laughs> take that to the patient right no. that's use but at least it's something now instead of you going and having to do all this research i mean i i think where it's at right now is it's almost like the equivalent of wikipedia where you have the information right. there as a starting point and then you move uh, from there and i mean there's certain things that if you get creative with the prompts that you do uh, let's say you know you mentioned uh, just a a couple of minutes ago about like summarizing something like if you're having troubles trying to summarize and you know tweak out the words you could say hey what's a better way to go and summarize these few points and it could give you some suggestions and just open up like hey this is this is a, a different approach it might be pretty good and try to incorporate it or uh, at least it gives you a path forward instead of having writer's block yeah i mean i think it's fascinating um there's just a lot of opportunities to, to save us time, right? I mean, it would be, and it would be great. Like, what if you could even like, like, I like to write, so I don't want a machine to write for me. That's no fun. It would be really cool though, to be able to put in passages in the future of my own writing and, and, and just have something tell me like, where do you tend to repeat words and stuff? So I could, for my own benefit, get better. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like I would have to hire like a writing tutor in the past to do that. And who knows how accurate would they be? This could go through numerically. Give me, it could be a, me a bar graph. It could be, okay, well, you tend to use these transition words a lot more often, this percentage at the time, you know, be mindful of that when you're doing your writing, try to be maybe vary up your diction a bit. Uh, I mean, Grammarly has done that for me as an example, right? Like, oh, yeah. I, you know, it's made me more precise and I take its, uh, its counsel where I think it's relevant, but sometimes, you know, being ultra, you do want to use more words in a sentence. And I noticed that Grammarly, and for those who don't know, it's like a better spell check. Basically you can install the program uh, in your browser and it'll check your words for you. Sometimes it, it always defaults to very concise business language. And it's like, well, that doesn't make for an interesting story language right so I, I it has and you can change the tone of what you want the recommendations to be but even then i find sometimes i'm like well i don't like the way it rewarded it and so yeah, i don't and yeah, that's exactly. my style and it's a creative endeavor so i don't have to i don't have to change it it's not wrong per se it's just it's the bias of the tool um yeah. There was another interesting thing. I, I sent this to you as well. I've enrolled in it. I don't know how long it'll take me, but I'm kind of curious. It's Nick S site at 95E thing. Like this is a bizarre link, but it's like AI chatbots and chatbot GPT for teachers. This is a free course intended for teachers who want to know more about chat GPT, uh, use it in their practice, looking for inspiration examples of its power and trying to improve the use of this AI chatbot. So I don't think this was created by open AI at some sort of course that someone has put on this think this is some sort of teaching and learning think think a fic this must be some sort of uh Udemy equivalent um so yeah there must be some sort well, of it's, what uh, is this like is this like a course platform? I think it's a yeah I think it's a platform where you can go and create so it's like Udemy or Coursera Kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. But maybe they solicit more. But anyways, someone put together this course. It's free, so that might be. If you haven't played with this, this may be a good place to start. It has, you know, content that's written. It has a bunch of videos. It talks about how AI works in general, like how they're trained. Like gives you kind of an overview. So that might be really useful. Well, we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, and again, I, I think in terms of these, like from a, a profession standpoint. I think what's going to happen is it's going to allow, it's going to have to, you know, people are going to have to adapt and uh, transform, but you'll be able to serve more people. Uh, you'll probably have to provide, let's say if it was a, on the legal side, you can now 
take on more clients and provide high level strategic advice, which uh, again, keep in mind right now where chat GPD three is, it's a grade nine, you know, writing level. I've even noticed like you, you were even saying in terms of uh, detecting like redundant or, you know, where you're repeating words. I've seen it go and do it on its own. Like the responses that they put in, like I personally wouldn't go and put in a, a word, the same word and repeat it like a couple of times. I also, I find it interesting, like sometimes it, it'll start off, uh, like let's say if you paste in a response to an email, it quite often apologizes. And one of the things that I uh, say is that uh, unless you absolutely have to, you shouldn't apologize because depending on the context, apologizing could actually admit that you're at fault and uh, who knows, you might even run into a, um, a legal liability issue. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, interesting. Um, yeah, just an interesting tool. We'll see how universities react. I have a sinking suspicion that maybe some overreaction to this and I can understand some reaction, but, um, I don't know. I, I am it, it just like, well done to the people who designed this. I mean, there is some, there, there is some, um, serious value here. Uh, and I, I think that I'm looking forward to playing with it. And honestly, like if it was inexpensive, and there was a like a a paid version that gave me more tools. Let's say it was like ten bucks a month. Like let's say you're a private consultant and you do research and user experience design. Uh, you want to paste some questions in. I mean, maybe it, it, another thing for me would be like it would be interesting to know like what sources it pulled so I could go follow up and like a timestamp of uh, of its response because it may have a better response later down the road. So I would be curious as a researcher, like I want to put in one question, I'm going to put it in today. I'm going to put it in three months from now and a year from now. I want to see if it gets better and, and to be able to source it as a source, or at least follow up on its sources and report on it would be cool. And on a side note, like you mentioned earlier about Microsoft going in, uh, integrating yeah. it uh, through their suite of products. I mean, imagine, which they're already, they've announced this, that they're looking at incorporating ChatGPT into Bing. I mean, this is where, like, I don't know. I mean, with the, the layoffs that just happened with Google, where they've laid off 12,000 uh, people. As well as Microsoft. I honest, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, again, like, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I wonder, like, you know, I, Google is highly reliant on people using it for search. And uh, again, I mean, when you search, it was pretty good, but then you get like thousands of responses. And, uh, and again, I think uh, here in academia, and that's why I don't, we probably should just incorporate this as just any other tool that you would use. But the biggest issue that we have in society right now is that there's so much information out there and it's finding the pertinent information based on, you know, the task that's before you. And so those research skills, I don't know if they ever will be, uh, you know, replaced um, and having those paid walls, those, you know, uh, all these uh, databases where you have to go and subscribe and get licenses and, and so on. I, I mean, again, uh, open AI, unless they're prepared to pay millions of dollars to go and access that, like you would never have access to the full data set of everything that's out there. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100%. I, th I think I think research skills, certain creative skills, just it, they can't be automated. I mean, they, again, we can use these tools to make our creativity better. It doesn't get really get rid of that. It kind of gets rid of the grunt work. That's how I see automation happening. And it's yeah. the same if you look at the, the history of the Industrial Revolution. Like if you work in a factory now, it's pretty high level. I mean, it's a, I mean, I have great respect for really skilled uh, tradespeople. I mean, you have to go in and you're working, let's say you're a tool and die maker and you work in a factory. Well, in the old days, you know, the factories worked like they do in China now, where there's a lot of people putting things together by hand, but in an automated factory, I mean, you're hiring in, you know, tradespeople who have kind of a borderline physical trade plus engineering schools who are like, you know, this, something is broken here in this machine. It keeps, it keeps reducing the yield of our OLED displays. How do we fix that? 
uh, the amount of creativity and critical thinking that those skilled trades do is just as much as any academic. I mean, like it's unbelievable what like, uh, people who work with like machine shops and stuff are able to come up with like fixing things. Um, but that's, you know, that profession and a lot of those professions have tr changed a lot as a result of technology, right? Like this isn't, I think it's, I have a feeling it's more of a moral panic because it's the first time we've had technologies that start to go after knowledge workers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so we're, but the again, laptop I, class is yeah. used to that. We're used to being, you know, untouchable. And now it's not the case anymore. All the, all the automation that came for the other folks and decades past is now, now applied to the, us folks with our highfalutin degrees and all this stuff. And I think that's, I think that's yeah. the initial reaction. That's my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I think the other panic is also just uh, people are sometimes just scared of new technology. I mean, I could imagine, like, I think about it, uh, even just doing, like, if uh, during the pandemic now, we've been doing a lot of online testing. I mean, I'd be curious. I haven't tried this yet, but imagine if it was a multiple choice test and you paste uh, the, the question into chat GPT. I wouldn't be surprised if it did give you that answer in a, in like a minute. And so now what do we do? Do we go in yeah. and change the response times down to like, uh, you well, know? I, I don't know. I mean, so I heard a similar argument. Uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine and he was citing a professor. I don't know who the professor is. So I'm sorry if you're listening to this, if you're one of the people who listen to this podcast and I'm, I'm citing you, send us an email and I'll, I'll credit you next time. But you know, this person, this prof he was telling me about has written uh, criticisms in the past about the traditional, not essay writing and writing in general, but the traditional five paragraph essay as an assessment mechanism for understanding. Um, I think the argument from I've heard from other folks is that, you know, essays really need to be longer and more complex and be a really high level to really suggest to interpret someone's writing. A five paragraph essay is kind of, some people don't like that. And so the response to chat GPT is that like, well, is this a really, should we be afraid of chat GPT or is it really a reflection of the quality of the assessment mechanism, which I think is a fair critique. So it's, mm -hmm. it's harder. What is one of the reasons we do multiple choice? Well, it's easier to grade if you have a big class size for one, right? Um, if you did yeah. short answer, like short answer questions that are done well demonstrate, I would argue in an, in a in-class test, way more understanding of the ability to put information together, but it's very difficult to mark. So what about a world where we could deploy written short answer stuff? We could get rid of the writ or wrote uh, objective assessment mechanisms, but then you had like an AI tool to help facilitate the grading just because it's too difficult for an individual, even with an army of TAs to do. I mean, what would that do, oh, no. right? I mean, it would be like, oh, you know, look for these kinds of concepts and then you go in and look at its work and, be, and, and you know, maybe you disagree with the AI. I'm not saying you have to believe it, but I'm saying it could take some of the burden off that kind of assessment on a large scale. Or another thing as a researcher, I don't mean to go on and on, but so we typically have quantitative research and qualitative research. Qualitative mean textual research, right? So to be able to generalize the population in social sciences, we have to do large samples of quantitative because it's, it's impossible to interview 1500 people, transcribe it, manually code it and come to some conclusions. Like it would take millions of hours of work, but what if we could use an AI uh, to, to help us with qualitative data on a huge scale? I mean, wouldn't that be better than making inferences um, from, uh, from guess from guesses and, and statistical surveys and stuff. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like insights that we could gain. Right. Yeah. And I guess then it becomes like, a, you know, there could be some bias in the algorithm sure. and other things that you'd have to look at, but you know, I just, uh, funny enough, like I did try, I just, uh, just to see what it would do. I took, uh, like a, you know, some responses and put it in with the rubric. Mm -hmm just to see like how it would grade and it did a pretty decent job. I mean, it was a little bit lower than what I, I thought, like in terms of grade wise. I it actually so you put in the rubric and it graded it according to the rubric that you gave it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah exactly. So it has that capability. Uh, it graded a little bit tougher than I would have maybe uh, just a little bit like it was at a B and I think I would have given it like a B plus or what have you. Uh, but uh 
you know, again, I I don't know how it, how accurate uh, and you know how it's like kind of putting some of that information together. Uh, but I mean, it is possible. But then on the flip side, this is what I could see. Imagine if you were a student, you could say, okay, I want an A paper. I need an A response. This is the rubric and this right. is the question or whatever. It could basically put that together uh, according to that assessment, uh, uh, you know, rubric. So again, I, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, I, we shouldn't be scared of this technology. I no. mean, we should just find ways to work around it. But I mean, I do see some issues. Like I look at like these exams now. I'm even rethinking like some of the the ones maybe for the future is uh, especially when we're allowing students to do it remotely just because it's uh, it's convenient for them it's uh, you know why not let's take the best of both worlds uh, from when we were online I don't think I'd ever want to go and use Scantron's uh, you know sheets ever again right. but uh, now this this thing poses a a big issue because I I could see very easily like what you could do especially with the uh, Let's say with if you had an iPhone, you could go and well, I mean, I guess unless you're having like the cameras go and record you and then you have that other like, you know, proctoring type of stuff. But otherwise, imagine you had your a camera on your phone on your iPhone, you could go and copy all the text, paste it into chat GPT, and then it'll output the answer and it could do it probably in a minute. That whole process would take one minute for one multiple choice question. Same goes for even like a written response. So like pretty powerful stuff right like <laughs> i don't know if you could do it in a remote situation anymore well that's why i think project work and group work and showing sources and being like if you want to use this tool say you used it to give you this inspiration and then how did you follow up and how did you critique i mean those are the kinds of things that really demonstrate knowledge but and the, and they're more representative of how things work in the workforce outside of an educational institution but historically they've been difficult to grade on a large scale right so to me it's like maybe this gives in the future gives us the power uh to yeah. ditch some of the testing that we do for large-scale projects with a help with the grading and the review because it's easier to assess the bias of a helper than it is to do everything manually right yeah totally so th maybe that's the future but interesting um nonetheless we we our only other news item today i mean that was the more majority of what we want to talk about i don't think this will take that long but apple did have some announcements so if we have uh students and faculty or instructors out there who are looking for um a new device and and you're an apple user uh we did have some interesting announcements from Apple. So we're officially obsolete now, Chris, the new MacBook Pro uh, M2. So the MacBook Pro is a 14 inch and a 16 inch model. They're pretty expensive. I don't know if they did. Are the prices the same? They've uh, they've tweaked it up. I mean, I didn't look at the uh, okay. laptops, but I, I can see the uh, the Mac Mini is a little bit higher, uh, just because they're they're putting in the specs are a little bit better and so yeah. On. So the MacBook Pros, they were updated to an M2 Pro and M2 Max chips, which are up to twenty percent faster CPU and thirty percent faster graphics. Um, pretty incremental, to be perfectly honest. Not nearly the level of jump that you would see from going from Intel to Apple Silicon, which is kind of what I expect. And I kind of expect, particularly AMD, uh, Intel's main competitor, to catch up to this pretty quick. In fact, there's some evidence that they already are. And so I don't think Apple's going to have a monopoly on, on power. But if you're in their ecosystem, it's in your best interest. The MacBook Pros are there. I'm pretty sure the pricing is the same. The Mac Mini, I think, is a little bit more, but the Mac Mini used to be just kind of like MacBook Air parts, but now you can get an M2, which is what you would, you know, they had the M1 before processor, but now you can get the M2 Pro. And so you can kind of deck it out as a better desktop. And that Mac Mini is a fantastic device. The Apple Silicon Mac Mini, because it has incredible cooling, even the entry level from 2020, I think you have you still have the first gen and isn't it like super yeah. ultra fast still yeah it's still pretty decent pretty I mean, incredible i'm running it right now so uh i don't have any issues but uh yeah i mean it's uh it's interesting because that mac uh, mini pro that they have uh so uh you know it, it actually has four thunderbolt uh, ports mm -hmm. so it's double the amount so uh, if anybody needs that but then price wise like i'm just taking a look right now it's starting at 1700 bucks 
right yeah. and uh, so it's you're getting into a, it's getting kind of pricey right like the other one the, the base level one i mean we probably would have upgraded uh, the ram and stuff but like the base level is uh, 800 this is without the education discount and so yeah. uh, and then it'll be 250 if you want the additional eight gigs of um, uh, ram so then you're going to be at 1050 uh, plus GST and so on. So um, it's about the same, like the entry level is uh, pretty much uh, what it was before, but now you get uh, uh, that uh, increase in the processor. But I mean, for 1300 bucks with the education discount, it's 1300 Canadian, um, much less for American. You get like 16 gigs of RAM, an M2 chip. I don't think most people need the Pro. I don't think they would notice. Yeah. Uh, and you can get a terabyte of hard drive space and if you have a monitor, that's like a tank of a computer for 1300 bucks. I mean, that's a, if you need a desktop, that's a really good value. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. so that's an option for folks. Um, I did have, uh, I don't have too much to say. I know there was a new home pod that was announced. Yeah. It's funny because they, you know, they discontinued it and, uh, you know, they went with those little mini kind of speakers and now they brought it back. Yeah. So. And it's like, I, uh, I have, a an Amazon Echo here that I got for free. I use that occasionally for Spotify and stuff. I don't you I don't I can't really speak to the Apple stuff. I mean, I like to be able to stream from Spotify and I don't think Apple's does that. I think no. it just doesn't it just kind of refuses. Um I have an M1 Pro MacBook as you know. Um you have the yeah. same one, the 14 inch. I just have the very base model. I I for me, I just yeah. the base model is so much like so much faster than like a $5,000 Intel that like, why would I go for anything but the base model was kind of my rationale. Um, yeah. It's so much better than what you used to have to pay quadruple for in on the Intel side that I don't see the value for me other than I like a larger display and a fast refresh. It's really the display that I was interested in, but a MacBook Air probably would do everything I need to do. Um, I think the new versions has a more cores in the base as a 10 core is now the base. It doesn't have the eight core binned CPU, uh, that I got, not that I would ever notice the difference day to day. Well, and that's I, I don't think it matters like I, for me. I think people shouldn't upgrade. If you have any of the other Apple Silicon stuff, this is more for people, I think coming from Intel. Yeah. And I think the big difference too, like, I mean, the, the, one of the reasons I, and as you know, Eric, like I waited to go and upgrade my MacBook Pro was the fact that it didn't have an HDMI output until the, the most recent ones. Right? Yeah, and, so. and these will still be around in the next education cycle for it back to school. And Apple doesn't update them every year. They kind of update this stuff on a 18 month or two year cycle. So I would wait if you don't need it till the back to school and then get it at a discount with the disc with the, what is it, $250 gift cards they give or they give AirPods or something. I mean, there's, there's no need to get it right away. Um, yeah, but it's kind yeah, of a, sure. it is kind of a cool update. Um, that, I think that's pretty much we had for, for news. I did have a tip. I know I didn't consult you about oh, this yeah. in the past. So there's two things I've been testing. Um, one is web-based and the other is, is Mac specific. Uh, I've been kind of curious again, I, I don't remember which episode was it, but we talked about kind of alternative searches to Google, like uh, different searches. Oh yeah. I've been playing with Neva which is, uh, oh, yeah. it, you can pay for it, uh, but there's also a free version just as kind of a Google equivalent, um, kind of a non-invasive, more privacy-focused search engine. Uh, there's a there's a, um, a browser plugin for it, so you can search stuff and it has like a tracking prevention. Uh, I've just been curious to see the results. And so far it's, it's kind of like a, it's very similar to what you get from DuckDuckGo because it's not location-based, which I prefer. Um, and it's actually, it's interesting. So I just, uh, want to put that out there. If people are looking for more of a privacy based search and if you actually pay for it, uh, there's a paid version, you get all sorts of extra features and stuff like that. And uh, so it's kind of an interesting, uh, thing there's, it's like an ad free, uh, search. And I think it's, it's, it's not particularly, it's not particularly expensive to pay. I don't, I don't remember exactly what the pricing is, but it's an interesting idea. The idea of a paid search that's private. I mean, you get what you pay for, right? Uh, and there's actually a review exactly. at Tech Radar that I can put in the show notes. Yeah, I believe we have talked about Neva in the past. Yeah. And uh, it was actually developed by some former people from Google. 
Yeah, exactly. And it seems pretty solid. I'm really, it's an interesting results. I've also been playing a little bit. I thought maybe we'll report back on this later. It's more of a heads up. Apple came up with its freeform app. Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. Apple's kind of cross collaboration freeform app. So I thought what we would try for next time, I'm going to let people know that it's available now on uh, Mac. I, or actually, I don't know if it is uh, on the Mac. I know it's on iOS. Um, but ultimately, uh, we should try it for um, our show notes and future collaboration for this. Yeah, I, I was kind of curious to see if we could use that because typically folks, we used to use Google docs and make all these rundowns. And I think you and I just kind of figured this is actually really complicated. Like, I wonder if we can get away with Apple notes, which works perfectly fine for what our purposes are. And it would be cool to draw things out though, and to draw little notes to each other and to have like a space where we could collaborate. So that's kind of what this yeah. is. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to play with that a little bit. Um, but it's definitely available now for Apple users on, on iOS and iPad OS. I don't know if it's available on the Mac yet. I don't think so. All right. Sounds good. But that's about all I had to say. Is there anything else that you want to keep people updated about? I don't think so. Uh, it's uh, nice to be back and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll continue, um, uh, you know, with the, the episodes on a regular basis, but if not, you know, we are, uh, we sometimes we're human and we, we do get busy and sometimes yeah. you're, you're dealing some with some personal issues or what have you. So, uh, but, uh, uh, at least we kicked off the year with the, the biggest thing, probably who knows, even in the last decade, I think uh, so. This is probably the, you know, the, the most uh, fascinating technology that, uh, you know, I haven't been excited about something like this in a long time. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, whole uh, AI writer kind of business uh, folds out. Yeah, I think it's super cool. Uh, I'm really looking forward to playing with it. And maybe we'll touch base on it again when we've we played with it even more. Yeah. Okay. And where can people contact you? Uh, so you can find me, uh, my website is uh, uh, Chris with a K, so K-R-I-S-H-A-N-S dot C-A and my contact information, social media handles, and so on are on there. And I'm Eric Christensen, and you can uh, find all my social media handles, links to my blog, everything like that at my website, uh, ericchristensen.net. So that's E-R-I-K-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-S-E-N.net. Thanks very much, Chris. Talk to you again soon. All right. Perfect. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTech Examined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time.